Hello and welcome. You are listening to the teaching ministry of Coastal Oaks Church in Rockport, Texas. It is our hope that you will be encouraged and that your desire to follow Jesus Christ will be challenged and strengthened as you listen to this podcast. For more information on location, service times, and what to expect on your next visit, go to coastaloakschurch.org. Now, grab your Bible and study along with us as you listen. Amen. You can be seated. I invite you to open your Bibles to Romans chapter 16. Romans 16. We're wrapping up our study of this letter that changed the world. As Paul ends his letter with a, a personal uh, observations and comments about the people in the church at Rome, the people uh, involved in the, his ministry at Corinth, and those that he's had an opportunity to serve with. And I'm just going to look at this today and talk about Paul's thankfulness. Last week, we stood up here and said the things we were thankful for, family, church, provision, jobs, the things that God was doing in our life. We gave thanks for that. And today, I want to take Paul's words in Romans 16 and a passage in Philippians and look at some things that I believe the Apostle Paul would say as we wrap up this season of Thanksgiving, these are the things that he is thankful for in the family of believers. I'm not going to read you the whole chapter, uh, not because I couldn't, but it wouldn't sound good with all these names I can't pronounce. But I would like to just, just highlight verse 19 to kind of springboard of what we're going to say today as we look at all of these people Paul mentions. He says about them, the report of your obedience, all these folks he has named, The report of your obedience has reached everyone. Therefore, I rejoice over you. Isn't that great? Paul says of the family of believers, some are sending greetings, some he's writing greetings to, some he reflects on. He says, I rejoice over you. Now hold that place. We're going to come back to it. But I want you to go to Philippians chapter 1. As Paul says some similar things about the church at Philippi, another place where he's ministered, he says these words in verse 3. Of chapter 1. I give thanks to my God for every remembrance of you, always praying with joy for all of you in my prayer, every prayer, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to think this way about you, all of you, because I have you in my heart. And you are all partners with me in grace, both in my, in my imprisonment and in the defense and establishment of the gospel. Now Paul says in Philippians 3, I thank my God for every remembrance of you. And then in Romans chapter 16, he says, I rejoice over you. So I want to, to look at this list of folks, the statements that he makes about them, and glean some things that Paul is thankful for, and I believe we too need to be thankful for as we think about our family, our body, of believers. Number one, we can be thankful for those who have helped deliver the message. Number one, thankful for those who helped deliver the message. Paul specifically mentions someone named Phoebe in the first part of this chapter. He says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, who is a servant of the church in Centuria. So you should welcome her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints and assist her in whatever matter she may require your help. For indeed, she has been a benefactor of many and of me also. As Paul sends this letter and he sends his commendation with Phoebe, he's saying, I've worked with her and she's helping me deliver the letter of Romans. She's helping me deliver the message to you and I want to be thankful for that. And I thought about applying that to, to, to my ministry and 
and how thankful I am for the people God has brought alongside me to teach the word. I think about Pastor Andy and how I never leave town wondering, is it going to be an effective communication of the Word of God? Because he's gifted at doing that. I thank God for that. I thank God for his ministry to our students that he had before he took over these other responsibilities and passed that torch on to Billy McDonald. I thank God for Billy McDonald who stands before our students week after week and teaches the Word of God. I thank God for those who've helped deliver the message in our connection classes those who deliver the message in our, in our small groups, in our grace group ministry, all those opportunities to teach the word, to deliver the message as our children's workers deliver the message. I, just like Paul would say, I thank God for those who helped deliver the message. I was reading this week about uh, Abby Wambach, a, a soccer player for the U.S. national team, and she has set the record for the most goals, most international goals, I think between both men and women soccer players. And they, they, when they interview her, this is what she says. She says, uh, she's got this incredible move that she does to score these goals. That's why she's a record setter. She says this, I have never scored a goal without getting a pass from someone else. Isn't that good? I like that. That's my attitude too. I, I said, I can adopt that. I have never effectively communicated the word of God, but that God hasn't put people around to help communicate that word. I thank God for you who helped deliver the message. Number two, Paul is thankful, I believe, as he lists this, and we can be thankful for the diversity of believers, for the diversity of the body of believers. Now I will read some of this to you, all right? We're gonna walk through this section here, beginning in verse three. Paul says, give my greetings to Prissa or Priscilla and Aquila, my coworkers in Christ Jesus, who risked their own necks for my life. Not only do I thank them, but, but so do all the Gentile churches. Greet also the church that meets in their home. Greet my dear friend Epinetus, who is the first convert to Christ from Asia. Greet Mary, who has worked very hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Hunia, and different translations of that, that word right there, that name. My fellow countrymen and fellow prisoners, they are noteworthy in the eyes of the apostles. They're also in Christ before me. They came to know Christ before Paul. Greet Ampliatus, my dear friend in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our co-worker in Christ, my dear friend Stachys. Greet Apellus, who is approved in Christ. Paul is listing all of these folks. Greet those who belong to the household of Aristobulus. Greet Herodian, my fellow countrymen. Greet those who belong to the household of Narcissus, who are in the Lord. Greet Tryphenia and Tryphosa. Some believe that those are two twins who have worked hard in the, in, in the Lord. Greet my dear friend Persis, that, that word translated means Persian woman. So greet her who has worked hard, very hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, the chosen in the Lord, also his mother and mine. Asyncritus, Phlegon, Hermes, Patrobus, Hermas, the brothers who are with him. Greet Philogus and Julia, or Julia, Nereus and his sister, and Olympus and all the saints who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ send you greetings. Isn't that incredible that Paul is naming all of these people that he has this has relationship with, that he's, been, that he's come in contact with, and that he can say they are my fellow workers. But I think about the diversity as I go through that list. Just walking through this, you have Jewish believers. You have uh, Priscilla and Aquila, Andronicus and Hunius. Those are, are Jews. You have Gentile believers. He mentions Epinatus, the first convert, the first Gentile convert in the province of Asia. Urbanus, which is a common uh, Gentile Roman name. Stachys, who's associated poss possibly with the imperial, the, the emperor's household. 
You have Jewish and Gentile believers. Uh, the list of women here, one-third of the people Paul lists in this passage are women. Priscilla, Mary, Tryphenia, Tryphosa, Persis. You have common slaves here. These names, Rufus and Hermes and Apliatus, all of those are just common slaves in the culture. You have prominent freedmen, Narcissus and Asyncritus. Those are, by freedmen, those are people who were once slaves but now have been given their freedom. And in that culture, you most likely were not a slave for life. You were in the, that, that place in society because maybe there was a debt that you had or a debt that your family had, and you're there to pay that off, and you're serving. Some remember we've seen the, the, the habit of, of some people deciding to stay on and continue to serve as a slave, as a volunteer slave. But you have those freedmen who once were slaves, and now they've been set free. They're in the church. You have members of Caesar's household, possibly, you have some, some who are wealthy. They believe that Priscilla and Aquila, who have a home big enough for them to, to meet in, was a large home. So they were probably a well-to-do family, tent makers like Paul. You have wealthy folks. You have possibly some Jewish nobility in that mix there. Aristobulus could have been Jewish nobility. And then I mentioned the Persian woman, Persis. Can you, can you picture a more diverse crowd of people culturally, nationally, with language, with religious background, and God brought them all together in that church. And Paul, I believe, is thankful for that diversity. All through that, he mentions the joy that's there, the greetings that come. Most early Christians, if you look at that list, were from the lower classes, slaves, freedmen. Isn't that interesting? The early church was just the common people, even though you had some people of nobility and otherwise in there. I love what uh, Bruce, Bruce Corley and Curtis Vaughn write about this church. They, they said of this, everything hints at a fellowship that transcends all barriers of race, culture, and sex. They are all one in Christ. And as I was reading that list of those names and thinking through how, how diverse they were, I, I went back to, to Romans chapter 10. And, and I want to read this because this is the heart of what I think diversity proves. Romans chapter 10, 11 through 13 We've read this as we've studied this passage. Now the scripture says everyone who believes on him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between the Jew and the Greek since they all have the same Lord. The same Lord is rich to all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And I thought about these names and I'm not going to read them again. That was a challenge to get through them that time. I told myself I wasn't going to read it, but I did. As I read through that list and I thought about the, the backgrounds of those people, where they were, slaves, the gospel changed their lives. Nobility, the gospel changed their lives and brought together Jew and Gentile, rich and poor, male and female, into a, a body that's called the church. And I thank God for that diversity. As I listened to Dennis and Carla Hammett share their testimony last week about what they're doing in France, I thought about, that is so cool. We send missionaries to France, and they have French-speaking Bible studies, but they also have a Bible study in their, in, in their home to Nigerian refugees who speak English. All in that family of believers there. I think that's what God does. He brings together diverse folks, all one, as Paul says, in Christ. Number three. I believe we can be thankful for the closeness of the fellowship. For the closeness of the fellowship. As I read this passage, the phrases, household of the faith, brothers in Christ, sisters in Christ, all meeting in homes, the family relationships, thankful for the closeness 
of the body. I love uh, Bob Goff. He writes such great stories about his life. And he tells uh, one story about his family. Uh, if you want to get a great book for a great read, Love Does is the book. Bob Goff tells about how one New Year's Day, the family's bored and he's got his kids. And they're saying, what can we do today, New Year's Day, sitting around the house? So they brainstorm all these ideas. And finally, somebody has the idea, let's have a parade. That's a good idea. We'll, we'll dress up in costumes and we'll get posters and balloons and we'll, we'll march down our street and, and have a family parade. And then they started thinking about, well, uh, who's going to watch the parade? And well, they said, we'll knock on the doors of our neighbors. And, and then they, somebody in, the, in the, the family said, you know, it's a whole lot more fun to be in a parade than to watch a parade. So they made a family rule. You can't watch the parade. You have to be in it. So they went down knocking on the doors down their street saying, we're going to have a parade, and it's not for you to watch, it's for you to be in it. And so they gathered a dozen or so folks and marched down the street and had a cookout at the end. And I thought that's, that's just how God has a way of, of saying, let's come together and let's do this thing together. And that's the way they bonded with their street. That's the way they had their block party at the end. It, it came up with a, the, the attitude that, you know, what we want everybody to be included in this. And I'm thankful for that, that we have a body of fellowship that's close. Number four, thankful for their deep commitment to Christ. Thankful for their deep commitment to Christ. Again, walking through this passage, the phrase, for Christ, in Christ, of Christ, in the Lord. It's repeated over and over again. He just didn't mention this fellow co-worker. He said this fellow co-worker in Christ. He didn't just mention their fellowship. He mentioned their fellowship with Christ. He didn't just mention the ministry. He mentioned the ministry for Christ. There's this deep, solid commitment to Christ. Not just the ministry, but to Christ. I, I've shared this before. At, at orientation at Southwestern Seminary, a professor stood up and he warned us. He said, all of you, there were about this many people in that room, brand new seminary students. He said, be careful that you don't fall in love with the work of the Lord and fall out of love with the Lord of the work. And he said, some of you are going to do that. And I've watched that happen with classmates, with pastors through the years, that it becomes about the ministry and the work and not about our relationship with him. Paul was thankful for them, but I believe he was thankful for them because they were in the Lord. A deep commitment to Christ. That's what carries the day. That's what makes a, a church a vibrant, effective, disciple-making body of believers, a deep commitment to Christ. One of the things I'm so encouraged by is the generation, the millennial generation, and the college students that are out there now. I don't know if you know this, folks, but those, that age group is sold out for Jesus. Now, they may not be sold out to the church because they've seen, they've seen inconsistencies in the organized church, but let me tell you, they are sold out for Jesus Christ, a deep commitment. Most of them, I'll go anywhere, I'll do anything to share the gospel with those in need. A deep commitment. I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful to see that in, our, in the young folks coming up, this commitment to be sold out for Jesus. Number five, Paul mentions it about being thankful for his fellow laborers or co-workers, whatever word you want to use there. I just use fellow laborers. Some translations say, for my co-laborers in Christ. Thankful for those who come alongside. And I, I mentioned those who have helped teach here, but I think about our leadership team and I think about the, the deacons. I think about all of our staff, everybody who, the volunteers who come alongside and do ministry. And I love that. I love that this church is not just about uh, one or two people or three or four people. It, it's about a, a cooperative effort of a team of leadership to see that things happen. I'm thankful 
I, I write notes sometimes or sign emails that I'm, when, when I communicate to our leadership, I'm thankful to serve alongside you. I am. Leadership, I'm thankful to serve alongside you. I believe Paul would say the same thing. Number six, Paul is thankful for those who defended and protected him. Look at verse three and four. Thankful for those who've defended and protected him. He says, give my greetings to Prissa or Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in Christ Jesus, there's that phrase again, who risk their, their own necks for my life. They risk their own necks for my life. Paul says they defended me, they protected me, and I thank God for that. I thank God for the folks who are loyal and faithful for the, in this ministry and who will stand up and defend and protect and say, I've got your back, Pastor. And I try to say that to our leadership, I've got your back. We talk in staff meeting all the time. We say, let's be careful that we don't throw each other under the bus, that we stand up for one another and back one another. That's important to defend and protect. I thank God for that. I was thinking about that, that video. I've shared it before that, uh, the, of the water buffalo herd that's attacked by a pride of lions. And these four lions isolate one small calf and they pull it down and they're, they're, they're trying to, to kill it and it ends up in the, the watering hole and the crocodiles grab one leg of the, of the buffalo and the lions have the other and they're doing this tug of war with this buffalo calf. And the herd is just kind of mingling out there because that, that calf has been kind of isolated from the herd. But as the lions are fighting with the crocodiles for possession of this calf, you kind of notice the rest of the herd come back around and they start nudging the lions, and the herd comes back, pushes the lions away, the crocodile away, and this little calf that you think is dead stands up again. And I, I, I thought about this, how, how that herd did what one couldn't do. They came in and they defended and they protected. That's what we do together in the body of Christ. We defend and protect one another. Number seven, thankful for the challenges of ministry. Thankful for the challenges of ministry. I read this passage praying over it and seeing co-worker, fellow worker, those who worked hard. Even one translation says those who worked very hard. The ministry is not easy. It's emotionally, physically, and spiritually draining. I, I don't think in 30 years of ministry, I've seen someone come in to serve on a church staff or get involved in ministry. Man, this is easier than I thought it was going to be. This is just a praise the Lord, hallelujah, Jesus day every day. You know what most say? I had no idea that it would be this tough. Some of y'all are shaking your head, you know. Ministry's tough. It's challenging, but I thank God for that. I, I, I thank God that, that he calls us and that he sees us, that we would be faithful to be called into ministry. I was praying through this this morning, and I, thinking about when I told my parents that I believe God was calling me into the ministry. And I thought, I'm going to call my mom and dad and say, I think God's calling me to be a pastor, and they're going to, they're going to just rejoice with me and say, wonderful, Kevin. And I called them, and they said, well, are you sure? And I thought, are you throwing cold water all over my excitement? Are you the cold water committee? You know, every church has one of those, right? I'm excited about what God's doing in my life, and you're pouring this cold water. And the, and the more I begin to share with them, they say, are you sure about that? And, they, and I thought, what is going on? The two people in my life who were followers of Christ who should have been, Kevin, yay, go for it, were saying, are you sure? Hold on, settle down. And after I finally made that public commitment, and I stepped forward and said, I'm going to do this, then my parents came alongside, and they routed alongside me and said, we're proud of you. I said, why didn't I hear that before? They said, we knew that if we could 
throw cold water on it that God wasn't in it because we know it's going to be hard and we know it's going to be tough and we want you to be sure that that's what God's called you to do. Well, I think I thank God for that. I sure wanted the encouragement at the time, but I'm glad that they were discerning enough to say, we need to test this and see if God's in it, that he would count the cost. The challenges of ministry are great, and I thank God that he allows us to experience those because we see his glory. What am I on? Number eight, thankful for discernment. This is a whole other sermon, but I'm going to wrap up Romans today and not spend on this sermon. But in verses 17 through 19, Paul talks about the, the, uh, those who cause dissension and put obstacles in their way, those false teachers. And Paul says, watch out for them. And there's this warning there. Basically, he says to them, you need to be sensitive. You need to be discerning about those folks. I thank God that he gives us that discernment to be able to know, to be able to see, to be able to, to sense when someone's teaching, teaching falsehood or not truth. I thank God for spiritual discernment. There have been times where my wife has come alongside me and said, Kevin, let me share with you something that I see and something that I don't even see, but she has the discernment to see. I'm thankful for that. For people to come alongside me and say, Pastor, do you see this? That, that there's discernment in the body of Christ and we can share that with one another. So important. Number nine, thankful for God's power at work through us. Skip down with me to verse 25. After Paul shares some uh, there in the church who are sending their greetings, verse 25. Now to him who has the power to strengthen you according to my gospel and the proclamation about Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery kept silent for long ages, but now revealed and made known through the prophetic scriptures according to the command of the eternal God to advance the obedience of the faith among all nations. I'll just finish this. To the only wise God through Jesus Christ, to him be the glory forever. Amen. Paul is thankful thankful for salvation, verse 25, through the gospel. Remember in Romans chapter 1, we said the heart of that, this letter was verse 16 and 17. And as I saw Paul wrapping up his letter, thanking God for the power at work in and through us. Listen, to, I go back to verse, chapter 1, verse 16. Paul says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is God's power for salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and also to the Greek. For in it, God's righteousness is revealed from faith to faith, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Paul says that's the gospel, that we can be saved through Christ, Jew, Greek, Jew and Gentile, rich and poor. God makes us right with himself. He's thankful for the gospel. I think about, um, he mentions Epinetus in this passage, the first convert in, uh, in Asia Minor. So let's look at that last point there. Thankful for the salvation through the gospel, for God's power at work and salvation through the gospel, that God would bring those to faith in him, in his son, Christ. Powerful, thankful for the body of believers. So when we get together week after week, we're not just a bunch of folks. We are a diverse group of people that God has redeemed, has by his grace, that God is called out, that God is equipped, that God is nurtured, that we can come alongside and share the labors of the gospel together. Winton Marsalis is a, a famous jazz trumpeter. I believe he leads the Lincoln Center uh, uh, 
jazz stuff that happens there in New York City. He was playing in a club in Greenwich Village one time, and he playing a trumpet solo of a, of a ballad he's playing. There's no accompaniment. And in the middle of this incredible ballad, somebody's cell phone goes off. How annoying, right? Uh, there, was a, there was a music critic in the, in the cafe, in the club at the moment, and he wrote in his notes, a cell phone rings, magic ruined. So Marsalis is playing, and he hears that cell phone ring, and the whole place, you, you know, you can imagine, is like, oh. Well, he, he repeats that cell phone ring on his trumpet. He plays those same notes. And then he slows them down. And then he speeds them up. And then he changes keys. And he plays this, and everybody's just... I can't believe it. And he's doing all this with that cell phone ringtone, and then he weaves it back into the ballad that he was playing before the cell phone went off. And I thought, that's the way Jesus works. He, he takes everybody's stuff, differences, junk, brings us together and allows us to harmonize together to be the body of Christ. Let's let him do it. Let's, let's focus on the music that he's playing through this body. Let's pray together.